Welcome to another edition of Lamenting the Leafs. Guys, I, I said in the last episode that I'd love to see the Leafs slap someone around soon. And they delivered, and oh, did they deliver. Uh, 3-0 and since the last time we recorded. Put six past the opposing goalie in each of those games, plus the best empty netter of the year. So... <laughs> Uh, we got some mailbag questions to get to here. We're going to talk about these last few games. But first thing, 50 goals for Austin Matthews. Nick, uh, obviously not much to say about the goal itself. But it was a pretty nice empty netter, though, as empty netters go. But a hell of a season for Austin Matthews. Yeah, I mean, you've got to score 49 before you can get the 50th on an empty net anyway, right? So it's been a, a remarkable season for him. Uh, I think that we're still expecting a couple more milestones here in, in the last few games of the season. Uh, but yeah, he's just been a joy to watch. Uh, again, I know we've said it a few times on here, but it, like we just can't be taking this guy for granted. Uh, we're witnessing greatness every time that we see this guy pull the Leafs jersey on and step out onto the ice. Uh, I think that this team can go as far as he's able to carry them and with the way that he's been playing. Uh, I'm as confident as I've ever been in this group. Yeah, I mean, for all the talk of like, you know, combined with like the 50 goals and just how they've been playing the last four games, like for all the talk of, you know, nothing in the regular season is going to make me care about this team that we did in the off season. I think that's been put to bed. Um, but I mean, he seems like a guy who he's just been a 50 goal scorer in my head for so long, even though he's never done it just because of the COVID years. So just kind of, you know, extrapolating what he's done, but it's nice that for, you know, to actually see him hit that milestone. And, but now it's, it's immediately to, he's going to get to 60. Like, I, I fully believe he's going to get to 60. What is scores it? Every night, 14 games left. He's at 51. Yeah. I mean, and he's got what? 44 yeah. in his last 46 games or something like he's, that. Like he's a goal, a game player at this point. It, it's, <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's wild. Ridiculous. Yeah. And him and Marner are just clicking so well right now. Like that goal. And it's Philly? not even, Oh yeah. That was yeah, outrageous. and it's not even just the the connections. It's like the fact that Marner's also humming along, you know, of his own self and like putting pucks in the net. So you kind of have to respect that and kind of give a little more space to Matthews than you'd like to to kind of take things away from Mitch, right? You can see that on Matthews' goal last night. Like heart bit hard on on Marner shooting there. And last year and years past, I don't think goalies do that. But you know, looking at what Mitch has been doing and. The fact that, you know, he's going to score 30 goals this year, it's, it's, it's pretty, you know, like you said, it's, it's, it's crazy to see these two players because I don't think we've ever seen two Leafs this good. You know, Matthews is probably already the best Leaf of all time. Marner's probably not that far behind, but let alone to have them on the same team. It's, it's, we are, we're spoiled. And again, we, we have to like check yourselves every once in a while to make sure you recognize that. Yeah, absolutely. It's been just a treat to watch. We've said it a million times. Uh, we've had a lot of heart discussion on the pod lately and for good reason. Uh, but in the interest of moving our discussion to how the Leafs have looked the last few games, let's change the tone of our heart conversation slightly. Who's the shittiest heart? Carter or Lauren? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see the anthems last night, so I was out. I, I was out, so I didn't. Uh, I didn't. I can't comment. I, I usually like to give uh, friend of the show and, and noted Flyers fan Leo. I like to give him a hard time about Lauren Hart and the anthems. But with so, honestly, some of the anthems that I've seen across various sporting events last night, Lauren Hart was a welcome uh, change on Saturday <laughs> night. <laughs> um that one in boston was oh awful. man the like massachusetts oh, yeah. songwriter or whatever songwriter of the year or whatever the hell oh, they yeah, were yeah. that was brutal yeah. it was devastating yeah, that was 
<laughs> it's been a, been a rough stretch. Just give us Martina every night, please. Yeah. Fly her around with the team. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, starting, I guess, maybe with the Philly game, we can kind of work our way backwards and throw in comments as you feel. It's, it's been an eventful few games here. It, really sloppy to start against the Flyers. And obviously, they worked it out and, and you know, they were humming by the end of it. But um just sloppy stuff to to start that game. Yeah, I think that's the the frustrating thing about this team is you see them go out and put together those performances against Florida and Boston. And I think they handled the Jets pretty well on Thursday night too. And and you come out flat like that against the Flyers, a, a team that's, you know, even farther down the standings than the Jets are and someone that you should really have those two points in the bank against. And I think that they, they made it hard on themselves with the way that they came out in that game. Um, we've got to talk about Jack Campbell because the way that he played early on uh, on Saturday night against Philly, he's the only reason that that game was even close after a period. The Flyers were taking it to the Leafs, and uh, I don't think uh, – Sheldon Keefe said as much. They didn't make it very easy on Jack in his first game back in over three weeks, I, I believe. And I, I think that was maybe the most encouraging thing to take from that entire game was how Jack looked. I know he gave up three. I, I don't think you could fault him at all on either of the, the first two, and the third one's a deflection from the point. I think he just – it was a really stark contrast to what we've seen out of Mrazek in that crease. Um, just the stability and the calmness that Campbell had back there. I, I have full confidence that Jack is going to kind of return to form. Maybe not be the, the 940 goaltender that we saw in the first couple months of the season, but that's not what this team needs. If he can you know, put up a 915, uh, something in that range down the stretch and carry that into the playoffs these guys are going to have a chance to win every night. What was kind of encouraging, I mean, it's it's one of those things that if you're going to nitpick victories, I guess, like against the Jets and, and the Flyers, it's that they didn't have great starts in both of those games. But at the same time, it just good teams come back in those games. like And, that, and that's what they, they, they found a way to do. But I mean, that's... I was talking to actually, I was, I was in my hometown last night and I was watching the third period with my dad and was having that conversation about kind of the whole like playing down to the other team's level. But I think a lot of the times it's just these really bad teams circle Leafs against the games. Like you heard Simmons say that about, you know, whenever anybody plays the Leafs, like they just get up a little bit extra. So when you play Buffalo and Montreal and Philly, you get kind of a different version of that team than they might, you know, another team might get like, it's just kind of full, full court press, but you see it early and then, as bad teams do, they kind of just taper off and the Leafs take over the game. So, like, if you're going to critique anything about that game, you maybe want a little bit of a better start, even in the even in the Winnipeg game as well. Yeah, I think that the thing about the Philly game that, like, I kind of expected the flat start a little bit. Two really emotional games earlier in the week with Boston and Winnipeg. Physical, and physical too. Yeah. Physical, like, I was, you know, and then you're you're coming in against, you know, a Philadelphia team that's that's done, right? And, and playing a bunch of young guys and easy game to kind of maybe take, take the first, 20, 30 minutes off. And so I was kind of, kind of expecting it, but yeah, they, I mean, they really put on a push late and yeah, full credit to Campbell who looked really, really good in, in his return, especially early on and, and just uh, kept them in it and then, you know, kept them within kind of a, the, that puncher's chance. And you're always going to have a, a shot like going into the third um, regardless. So been, been winning some big bucks lately on the, uh, on the, uh, you know, Leafs go down early and just hammer the money line. It's, it's, <laughs> Every single time, it's it's good. So speaking about that that Flyers game, uh, Wayne Simmons he, he has heard the chatter 
about whether or not he has a place in this playoff lineup. And uh, Saturday night decided to illustrate his case. And the canvas he used was Zach McEwen's face. <laughs> My goodness, Nick. Uh, um, that was uh, uh, some some serious haymaking being done. Yeah, uh, I had an absolute blast watching that. Um, previously mentioned friend of the show and noted Flyers fan, Leo. I just so happened to have him over to watch the Saturday night game with me. And it, it was thoroughly enjoyable to <laughs> sit there and have him watch a player that he cheered for for so many years beat the absolute snot out of a guy on his team you know and, and on top of the breakaway goal to bring the Leafs back to even early on in the game uh yeah a lot of fun sitting there watching that with Leo I don't think Zach McEwen had much fun dropping the mitts with Simmons uh stick tap to him for even doing so because I, I've alluded to this a few times now I don't think there's a whole lot of guys in the league that are willing to take on that challenge at this point um and for good reason with I don't think that Wayne Simmons has had a fight as a Leaf where he didn't beat the snot out of the other guy yeah but, i can't even think of I, I can't even think of like a draw that he's had no. he just wins every time <laughs> like handily and we've seen in back-to-back games now like not only does he have a hard time finding a willing combatant in the last two games the officials have prevented him from fighting at least once in each game they sent him out of the end of the jets game on thursday night when him and lowry were lined up on the face off having a little chat 10-minute misconduct for preventative measures there by the officials, I guess. And Lowry yeah. should send them a fucking gift basket because that <laughs> yeah. was not going to end well for him. No. And then uh, Simmons and McEwen tried to go earlier on Saturday night, and I think it was a little bit after the whistle or whatever, and the, the officials put a stop to that. But Wayne got his at the end there. I think McEwen took a run at, uh, I, I believe it was Labushkin late in the game, and yeah. Simmons was going to make him answer for that, and uh, he, he, he certainly did. But just to the low, larger point about Simmons here he really has kind of come on in these last two games I think you may be seeing a product of getting him some rest uh there's some miles on those legs some hard miles and I think he was playing really strong hockey at the beginning of the season doing basically everything you'd want out of him in that fourth line role he was hired on the four check he was causing turnovers down low wreaking havoc in front of the net and I, I think as the season has gone on he's kind of fallen off and sort of fallen out of the lineup picture but with, with these last two games if that's the kind of Wayne Simmons that you can get on a consistent basis that's all you need out of him and that's all he needs to do in order to ensure his place in the playoff lineup in my opinion yeah there's no question if you get that version of him he's he has a spot and I I think we've always kind of said that as a, as a group here like the 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 Wayne Simmons that you're picturing in your mind which is what you got the last two games like I would be fine with having that in the lineup over somebody who's maybe a bit more offensively skilled or, or even a bit more d- defensively skilled or something just because of the element and presence that that brings to the game and especially in the playoffs. But it wasn't there for so long that you start to just be like, Jesus, like I can't, you can't even, you can't even hope to have him and like that, that he might find it for the playoffs. Like it's just, you just, you, it, it just wasn't there for a long time. I don't know what it was. If he was hurt nursing something, just, you know, like you said, he's got a lot of miles on his body. He was one of the guys in COVID protocol. Maybe he had a really bad bout of it. it I, who knows, right? You're just speculating, but he didn't look great for a, a long stretch. When he was running around in the, in the Winnipeg game, I kind of, you know, had that, I, I tweeted it out and I kind of had that thought of like, you know, this is awesome, but man, why doesn't he do this every night? And then he came right back out the next game and did it. So hopefully this is kind of a, a turning point for him. And he doesn't need to fight every night because 
A, you know, no one's going to fight him and B, it, it might not call for it in the game. Like you don't necessarily want to give the other team a spark or whatever if they're up, but just the, the kind of tenacity on the four check and just running around and just being a presence on the ice. Like he just has that kind of mentality where he just looks at guys and kind of, you know, that that's enough right there. So hopefully we, we see more of it, but I also am in favor of, you know, making sure he gets some rest down the line. It, you know, if the rest is what kind of equates to a night like that. Yeah. I, I think that that's a, gotta be a given, try to rest some of these guys heading into playoffs. Some of the older guys, especially, you know, Simmons, Spezza, Giordano, um, you know, there, there's, um, that's definitely something that's going to have to be on the table. But yeah, like if, if this is the Simmons you're getting, man, that's uh, that's valuable. And things are only going to get nastier, right? Like it's I've spontaneously introduced the scumbag list on Twitter <laughs> over the last few games just because there's so many guys who who've, you know, we need a list. There's so many scumbags. Taylor Hall, Pierre-Luc Dubois. Who's that guy in the uh, the minors who just hit uh, Robertson today? Dylan Sandberg. Yeah, whoever he is. He's on the oh, list. So. Scumbag list. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, if you've got Simmons, I just hope that he's he's kind of flipped a switch that's not going back off until the offseason right that's now. That's what I'm hoping to. Keith had some pretty pointed remarks in the press about the fourth line uh, when Blackwell was scratched in the Winnipeg game he said that Blackwell was going right back in on Saturday night and that he had a leg up on the three guys who were playing on the fourth line that night in Kyle Clifford Jason Spezza and Wayne Simmons so I I think that was a a message loud and clear to those three guys that they've got to kind of pick it up here and I think that the Leafs are past the point of you know doing things out of any kind of sentimentality like it's time to fucking go now and when the playoffs roll around, it doesn't matter if you're the well-respected Jason Spezza or Wayne Simmons. Sheldon Keefe is going to put the, out the lineup that he thinks gives them the best chance to win. And if those guys aren't playing at the top of their game, they're not going to be a part of it. I think one of the one of the kind of big big picture things for me in watching these last few games against you know that were all that all kind of had that playoff physical animosity nastiness to it is that. I get like any of the, th- the the opponents that the Leafs are going to have in the playoffs. The game plan that they're going to have coming in is we're going to bully the Leafs out of this series. Like we're going to run them. They're not a physical team. Like that narrative still hangs over top of them. Good. And I feel like it's just I know right. And that's but the whole thing about you know what the the, the kind of general speak around the Montreal series is that you know the 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 big the big guys on the back end, big physical defensemen took the Leafs skill guys out of the game when it. No, Carey Price stole a series. Like, it, th- but that was the easy kind of thing to latch onto, and I, and you know that that's what's going to happen when, if they play Florida, Boston, Tampa. It's just going to be we're going to try to run these guys out of the building. So having a Simmons that can that can kind of put maybe a, a bit of a stop to that or slow that down a little bit, um, you know, will be will be kind of that much more valuable. But also. I didn't see any of the big or any of the the kind of skill forwards wilt away when things got tough the last few games too, which was also encouraging. That's the thing with uh, anyone who's been paying attention to this team f- over the course of the season. I think you have noticed a big difference in the the ability of the Leafs to push back and maintain their style of play when things kind of get a little more physical lately. They've kind of answered back. I think Labushkin's been a, a big addition on the back end in that regard kind of just bringing the physicality on that end. And it's kind of made its way through the team, I think. You're just seeing a lot more tenacity and drive from the entire team. Uh, as you said, there's there's no real – no one's turned into a shrinking violet in these games that have gotten, you know, that playoff atmosphere 
the physicality and just the high energy in the game. And I, I think that's a really encouraging sign heading into the postseason. They've all, they've all, if anything, picked the game up. Yeah. Uh, for, for games like that. Yeah. So let's keep talking about the playoff lineup. Um, we, we put out a call for some questions earlier on Twitter and got lots of good ones. So let's just roll into them because there's a lot of stuff here that we wanted to discuss anyway. Uh, first question comes from JJ. Is Lilligren at a point where he's a lock to be on the third pair come playoff time with Hall and Sandine being the odd men out? Um, I, I don't know if he's a lock to be on the third pair because I don't know if he's not playing higher at this point uh, because he, he's just been a stud. He's, he's got to be in the lineup, right? I think that that pairing of Giordano and Lilligren is pretty tough to break up right now. I think that both of those guys are, are kind of getting the best out of each other. I know we, we haven't really seen Giordano it, playing with anyone else that much. We had that brief look at him playing with Justin Hall. I believe it was the, the Boston game. And they went back to Giordano and Lilligren pretty quick after that pairing gave up a, a yeah. couple of goals. And, and I, I know we've said it already, but as strong of a rookie season as Timothy Lilligren has had, he's been a completely different player since Gio was brought in and, and partnered up with him. He looks so much more confident. He looks more poised. He is playing more physical. He, he's just been he, he's been fantastic, and I don't think that you can justify taking him out of the lineup right now. If you're looking to ice your six best defensemen, or more importantly, perhaps your three most effective pairings, because I think that you could still make the argument that you know Rasmus Sandin individually is maybe a, a, a more impactful player than Lilligren, but I don't think we've seen Sandin find the kind of synergy. With, an, a with a partner that yeah. we've seen with Lilligren and Giordano so far. And of course, Sandine's also on the shelf. And we don't know exactly when he's going to be back into playing shape. If Sandine's not back before the end of the regular season, then he's only healthy, you know, halfway through the beginning of round one. And things are going semi-well for the Leafs. I don't think that Keefe is going to be very eager to kind of throw Sandine back into the mix at that point uh, without, you know, some game action in the regular season beforehand. Uh, th- the question is really going to come down to what happens with Jake Muzzin and where, how that all shakes out, I think. Yeah. Um, um, so I want to throw this at you because Muzzin does still have to come back. Um, and I, I agree with you on, on Giordano and, and Lilligren. That's a great pairing. Um, but I just I wonder how it's going to look in the playoffs. Riley Labushkin's been good. Is Labushkin going to be the guy you want to keep rolling out there with with Riley uh, with the minutes that Riley's going to be leaned on in the playoffs? I'm not sure. So let me throw these at you. Riley Lilligren, Giordano Brody. Muzzin Labushkin, third pair, as you kind of ease Muzzin back in. And I then hate you got it. Sandine and Hall. You hate it? <laughs> <laughs> Who's moving the puck on that third pair? Yeah. I mean, Muzzin's and not. Lil- and Lilligren, Lilligren hasn't looked anywhere near as good with Riley as he has with Giordano either. I think Labushkin and Riley as a pairing has been much better and much more reliable than the pairing of Lilligren and Riley, even though it was only kind of a limited run there, but yeah, no no offense. I I don't like it. (laughs) No, I just, I just wonder though about Lubushkin in the, in the playoffs. It's a fair question. Is is he going to be exposed? Um, But yeah, I mean the the puck moving question is a good one. I mean, do you feel any better about Lilligren not getting exposed in those kind of minutes? I I mean, I know we're raving about him here, but I think a lot of that has to do with just the, the chemistry that he's found with Giordano. And they're also, I think that the the pairings have been rolled fairly evenly as of late, but I still don't know if you're going to want to trust Lilligren, you know, throwing him back onto that pair with Riley when the games really start to 
to heat up. Yeah, so it feels like if Lilligren's going to be in the lineup, that it's likely only with Giordano. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't see it as another option because I think they'd feel more comfortable with Hall if if they had to do that. Um, but like Labushkin played twenty two minutes last night. I know it was Philly, but I also wonder if that's a start. If that's not something in the back of Keith's mind, Cam, of like, all right. Is is Labushkin ready to play with Riley in the playoffs? We have to start getting a look at him playing twenty plus minutes a night. I don't think he needs to though. Like that's my my kind of point in all that that I've been kind of kicking around in my head is is kind of what you just said about deploying things evenly. Like I think it's just all situational. Like I don't really see this as like your true one two three kind of pairing. Yeah. Like Riley Labushkin, uh, Giordano, Lilligren, and then I don't know if it's it, like Brody's obviously in. So Muzzin Brody. Like, does that that's, make sense? I, I kind of see it being that way. I think that's honestly where where I ran into problems trying to put it together was that's what I ended up with was Muzzin and Brody on the third pair. And I just wanted to shuffle it from there because I, yeah. I you know, don't see any way that that being the case. Right. But, but if but, you look at if you think of it, of Muzzin, Brody and then Giordano Lilligren as like two A, you guys, two B, you guys are eating up the, the tougher assignments to let to let Riley cook, right? Like I, that, like Riley and Lubushkin don't have to be your shutdown pair at that point. You have, you have Lubushkin out there kind of covering for Riley roving around. And it just, it seems to work on paper, you know, or in my head. Um, but I guess the only, the only concern is, is I, now Brody's better. I think Brody's better with the puck than I give him credit for. But like you said about moving the puck on that third pair, but I, I also like Muzzin's also not, awful either like he's not a big fridge defenseman that can't make a pass like so it, you know it could it could work but i think it's just alleviating it so that muzzin in the past muzzin and hall were just they they were thrown to the wolves like they got every tough assignment and and it was a lot to ask of them and now you kind of have giordano to, to kind of alleviate some of that so when muzzin comes back off of an injury off of, off of many injuries piling up you know he's not not gonna be asked as much I just think the natural move whenever Muzzin is healthy is to put him alongside Brody. It's been a really rough season for Muzzin. Uh, We all know that. But I think when we saw Muzzin at his best this season was when he was playing alongside Brody. And I think that it just kind of – it it avoids having to shake up the entire core that you have going on right now. I I think that Keefe likes what he has with Riley and Labushkin, and he, he definitely likes what he has with Gio and Lilligren. So I think you kind of get back to what Keith is saying. It's maybe not looking at it as a traditional one, two, and three pairing, and it's more of a situational thing. Uh, for me right now, that's what I would like to see is, is Muzzin come back in and get a look alongside Brody. And play 17, 18 minutes a night. Like, it doesn't have to be what he used to do. Yeah, and, and kind of like the forward groups, you're going to see some mixing and matching now and then. You know, some offensive zone starts. You might see a Riley and Lilligren pairing out there for an offensive zone face-off or something like that, or maybe even a, a, a Muzzin and Labushkin pairing for a, a D-zone draw late in the game, something like that. Next question comes from Mikey. What were your takeaways from uh, Nick Abrazizi's debut? Uh, Nick, go to you on this one. Um, before we do, I just wanted to throw out my thoughts. Um, 
I, I thought that he had, you know, a pretty solid game. Like, uh, you know, obviously he didn't do a lot to stand out. He didn't get a lot of ice time. But um, I, I thought that kind of in the third period, there were a couple of times where he was, you know, maybe a little uh, passive, I guess, in the defensive zone, kind of lagging off guys, like like doing a good job of, of covering his man, like man on man. But once it kind of came time to, you know, make a play on the puck, he was just maybe a little too conservative. And maybe, you know, uh, specifically on that third goal, um, you know, not really in the past passing lanes they were kind of working it around a little easily on him so just kind of things to things to shore up but you can see like he's a he's a smart player and he made some some good plays that that first shift was interesting right like pretty yeah. bad giveaway and then like did a good job to get it back almost got put into the bench and then he gets the puck like i don't know if you noticed this at the end of his shift he got the puck with so much space no one was within 20 feet of the guy and he just dumped it in and he, he dumped it in and it's like i'm like actually impressed by that because like I just feel like so many rookies see all that space and it's like the paralysis of of the choices you have to make in that position it's like when did I ever think I was gonna you know have this much room to myself on on my first game on an NHL sheet right yeah well I think that the big thing with Abrazizi as we talked about kind of coming into this after his signing is just his intelligence and his IQ I don't think he's a player that you're gonna see make a, a bad decision very often uh, where the problems might come once in a while, maybe with the execution, like you're talking about, Cam, just engaging on those plays and actually attacking the puck and stuff. Um, but it, it's a, a huge adjustment to the pace going from playing NCAA hockey and stepping into the NHL, especially at, at this point in the season when you know most of the games are, are pretty high energy and intense. And even against a team like Philly, who doesn't really have much left to play for at this point, they're trying to play spoiler and just everyone's kind of clicking on all cylinders at this point in the season. It's a, t- a tough time to jump in. Uh, he definitely had his little welcome to the NHL moment on that first shift <laughs> with the turnover. Uh, good on him for getting it back. But yeah, he almost got launched into the bench there uh, about five seconds into his NHL career. So I, I think he acclimated himself well, uh, didn't really stand out, but I think he, he moved the puck well. I thought he, his positioning was solid. And, and I said this before he even got into a game. I think you're going to see the most out of Abrazizi if he's playing alongside some more talented, skilled players just so his IQ can shine through and his ability to move the puck can shine through. Um, you're, you're not really going to get that when he's playing on a line with Wayne Simmons and Colin Blackwell. Um, it, it was kind of cool to see late in the game when things were kind of wrapped up. He, he got a shift with Tavares and Nylander late and another one with Camp and McKayev late. So I think that kind of speaks to maybe Keith liking his game, at least uh, the first time out, and just you know giving him a, a little pat on the back with a, another shift with the big guys at the end there. It might also speak to Wayne Simmons being in the box <laughs> at that point in time for the fight. Yeah, but what, what would that have to do with the, the top line? Well, the fourth line was broken up. Yeah, I, I guess. Like, I'm assuming just trying to trying to get him get him a shift. Instead, of, my instead, of, instead of him missing a shift because of Wayne. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess but so. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, like, I, I think, you know, rookie coming in first game, jumping on a moving bus – it was it was it was fine. Like I, I didn't notice anything, you know, too bad or or you know anything that was really poorly executed. Um, I think he ha- like they almost had an odd man rush in his first shift. Him and Blackwell that got broken up would have been nice to see. You know what he would have done with some some space that wasn't at the end of his shift, but he just kind of <laughs> dumped it in. But uh, no, I mean I'm excited to to continue to watch him. It's hard to evaluate guys with like what do you have like eight eight or nine minutes of ice time. So it's yeah, 
it's kind of tough to to really you know not only from uh, uh like watching the game and, and evaluating but even just like for him to get into the game I, I feel like it would be tough to to really kind of find your footing and and knowing that your 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 role out there on the ice in the fourth line is just kind of you know get the puck dead and get it in deep get a whistle and get off and you know get get the other guys out so yeah i'm, I'm excited to continue to watch him but um nothing nothing from the game that made me concerned about rolling about there again yeah i'd like to thank nick for for sending me the the um the video with all of his shifts the 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 full thing because uh, yeah i like you said not much time i, I wouldn't have this many takes if i hadn't uh, <laughs> hadn't seen like all, all of his shifts again yeah i had to go back yeah. and watch the shifts myself like i said uh, it, a rare occasion for me i wasn't as dialed into the game on saturday night as i normally would i, I don't usually like uh, spending time with other people while I watch hockey, but uh, I made an exception for our pal Leo on Saturday. A couple ciders, a couple ciders. Yeah, he did did some reconnaissance work there and showed up with my favorite drinks. So yeah, it was a, it was a splendid Saturday night. And to to send him out the door licking his wounds with a Philly loss was was all the better. I love it. Yeah, we'll we'll see what uh, Abrazizi gets here in the in the future. I'm I'm sure he'll get you know a, a run of some games like like we were saying. You know, get some of this uh, load management on the go with with some of those guys and, and see what these guys can do. Like like you said, a couple of nice skilled plays, a couple of touch passes. There was one nice play where it looked like he was going to dump it in, like maybe early in the or early either in the first or the second. A little slip and pass he, in the neutral zone. Little there. slip pass, I yeah. think, to Blackwell. Yeah, yeah. That, was, that was a shifty little play to, and then they you know had some nice zone time after that instead of just chipping it in so it, it doesn't um, look like much but th- those are quick little passes that not everyone makes right it, it, it really doesn't jump off the screen but it, it's almost like that pass that Matthews made to Mariner on his goal where he you know the cut back on the half wall there and just slipped it through a couple sticks to Mitch to create all that space you know that, that that's a that's a skilled play yeah yeah liked him um and staying on the prospect beat, uh, Quinn asks, what slash where do you see potential line projections when Nyes comes over? Um, and he goes on to say that, you know, he doesn't doesn't feel that he's a Marley at all. Um, so so let's kind of take this as a two-parter because I, I think that, you know, if, if we're under the assumption that Nyes is signing at the end of his season, and I think there were some more comments this week, Nick, that kind of suggested that that's probably going to happen. Um, we kind of have to look at it like, you know, what is he for the rest of this season? And then what is he in his first full pro season next year? Because I kind of see it as, you know, him being that like maybe he can fill in on the fourth line i don't know if it's a regular thing we'll have to see how he looks when he comes in but like if he can get in there on the fourth line in the playoffs maybe get some spot duty on the second line to try to get things going at times and you know he's probably going to sit a few nights as well in the playoffs and then i I could see him starting with the marlies next season uh to to kind of just try to you know refine his game a little bit and, and spending most of his season down there and getting some some time with the Leafs but we're getting a little ahead of ourselves so let's start with um just with the playoff uh lineup Nick where do you see Nye's kind of sl- slotting in assuming that he does indeed sign well one part of that question is easy to answer right now because Nye's if he does sign will not be eligible to be loaned to the Marylies this season so he, if he does turn pro he'll spend the entirety of the season on the Leafs roster or god forbid injured reserve um I think, as you said, it's starting to seem like more and more of a foregone conclusion that Nyes is going to turn pro whenever Minnesota wraps up in the Frozen Four here. I think the Leafs will have like nine or ten games left, uh, potentially, when Nyes is eligible to sign. I think right now we're seeing Sheldon Keefe is uh, really searching for that optimal mix on the fourth line. 
So I, you know, I definitely see Nye's getting a look there if he does sign. And it's really difficult. He's still a 19 year old kid. Um, but he, you've mentioned it on the show before, Cam. He's just blown through every checkpoint so far and exceeded every expectation that's been set out in front of him. Um, I, I think that the Leafs would definitely be interested in getting a look at him a little higher in the lineup if he does. Again, everything has the caveat that if, if he does sign, but it's starting to sound like that's uh, that decision has kind of been made, at least on his end. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that expecting too much out of him down the stretch is is kind of a fool's errand but he's such a unique player the physicality and the the hands in tight the ability to make plays off the wall i think that you probably see him shuffled in on that fourth line in in the current mix of guys like clifford blackwell spezza abrazizi simmons and go from there yeah i'm, I'm really intrigued of a nice blackwell uh simmons fourth line and just seeing what kind of chaos they could they could wreak, and, and just that you know the big energy shifts that you need in those playoff games when maybe there's a need for a bit of a spark. But I mean, ideally, I'd love love to see him up the lineup. Like Mikheyev is is playing so well right now that I I don't I think that's going to kind of prohibit that from happening. But that's I mean that's I think it, like if you maybe and the, the shitty thing is is I don't think they're going to have like a playoff seeding locked up to the point that they're just going to have meaningless games down the stretch. Yeah. Like I think pretty much to the last game of the seasons against Boston, right? That's probably going to mean something. So I, that's the only thing that kind of drawback on this is I'd love to just say, Hey, go, go, you know, at the end, last two or three games of the year, play them with, with, uh, with Tavares and Nylander and see what, see what kind of chemistry is found there. But it's tough to see. There's already so many moving. Like it's already so difficult to put together a least playoff roster right now, both forwards and defense, without adding Nyes into the equation. So it's, it makes it that much more difficult. And then the fact that he's a 19 year old rookie that you know will be playing his first professional games in the NHL. It's I don't know. It's it's really fun to think about him being some an impact in the playoffs, but I I really don't know how or where that would be. Uh, next one comes from. Andra, uh, and we're going to get into a couple of kind of um, off-season slash kind of salary cap type of questions here. So uh, this first one from Andra may be an overreaction, but if Giordano takes the Spezza contract for next year and Sandin and Lilligren get extended, would trading Muzzin in the off-season make sense? At least we'll need the cap space he's taking up, and I think other teams would still pay for him. So, um, I, I mean, I guess the first thing is I, I don't see Giordano like I could see Giordano maybe taking a, a, a pay cut to stay with the Leafs. I don't think it's going to be the Spezza contract. Like, no, I, no. I think that you're going to be paying him at least two, probably three million, depending like the, the market's going to be there, I think. Yeah, he's not going to sign for league minimum, um, but I think, it, you know, for, for two to three million, I, I would definitely be interested in that. And I think you just got to be cautious of, you know, how much he's got left in the tank. Um, and, and, you know, obviously just one, like one year deals and stuff like that. But I mean, I'm open to trading anybody on the roster, save for like two people right now. So yeah, I would, I would, would look at trading Jake Muzzin in the off season just to see what kind of return you could get. I, I mean, they have eight NHL defensemen right now. I, and, and ideally you'd want to just keep upgrading the team. So if you think you can get better, um, and, and potentially get some sort of, you know, futures in the, in the, in the process too, to kind of continue the pipeline. I think you look at it and I think that 
you know, the, the person who asked the question is correct and that there would be teams, there would be a market for Jake Muzzin's services, I believe. So, I mean, I don't think you're going to get a King's ransom for him at this point in his career, but I think you'd get something and, and, and the cap space is obviously valuable too. I think even independent of the Giordano situation, uh, we were probably trending towards a scenario this off season where the Leafs were going to have to be looking to find a way to get off of Muzzin's money. Um, j- just with, you know, the plans have changed in the last couple of years with the, the entire pandemic flattening the cap and j- just the, the money isn't there. Like teams expect that it was going to be. Um, I, th- I believe that having Giordano in the fold makes it almost an easier decision. If you do decide to move on from Muzzin, um, it, it it comes down to Giordano's market and how badly he wants to be in Toronto. I think if you are able to retain Giordano for an additional year for anything less than what Muzzin makes right now, and you're able to move Muzzin out, I think that that's something the team has to consider. Uh, You do have to be careful with it because we saw how quickly things can fall off for aging defensemen and Mark Giordano is going to be heading into his 39 year old season next year. So as good as he's been so far, I think that that's something that the you know the team's obviously going to be considering all options. Uh, it's a five year plan that changes every day, right? Um, yeah. Well, remember how fun the idea of signing old ass Joe Thornton was for a little bit, and then it quickly was like, oh, yeah, this this maybe wasn't the best move. <laughs> yeah, and it's probably not an entirely fair comparison because I think you know we've seen Geo definitely still has some more juice left than than Thornton had Absolutely. last year, but, but, but it, it can but change really quick. It can definitely change really quick. Um, but yeah, you've got to be happy with what Gio's brought to the Leafs so far. And if, that, if that's the scenario that arises in the summer and you're able to keep him in the fold for less than what you're paying Muzzin right now, I think that's definitely something they're going to look at. Yeah, I, I could see them certainly exploring it. But I, I just I think that um, considering the situation you're in, right, like this is a competitive window. And, and obviously, you know, Muzzin's been battling injuries pretty much his entire Leafs career but like unless you're really upgrading like obviously Geo's great in the short term um but like unless you're you're really like unless you're going out and getting chikrin or something like I'm I'm I I lean towards you kind of have to keep Muzzin and hope that he turns it around and um I mean if you could move out the full salary like I don't know maybe maybe that's an option I just I just wonder how many I, I do wonder what the market is because I, I, I obviously it would be there Ben Sherratt just moved for a first round pick for Christ's sake but um you know the amount of of injury history with with Muzzin and and you know the years left I, I, I do wonder like it would it be worth kind of the return especially you know weighing it against the the 100% Jake Muzzin that you know you can no longer have if he's no longer in your organization right so does um, 100% Jake Muzzin even exist anymore is what I yeah, think does, will be the does big that question seem, yeah. does that seem remotely likely to, to ever be a thing again that's that's a big part of the the question this offseason and, and don't forget he's got two years left after this right so like exactly kind of got to be making that determination not only with next season in mind but the following year in mind as well yeah on this topic though like I I quick like question for you guys if you have like the Leafs are gonna have to extend Lilligren and Sandine this year are you looking to keep them on a short-term deal to minimize their cap hits and bridge them or are you willing with both of them to commit to a longer-term deal which you're going to probably carry or a higher AAV for the which you know you're playing and hoping that in, in a couple of years it's a huge steal 
but you're going to be paying more for next year and the year after just given their cap situation like which is more enticing to you so before we get into this let's let's look at the, the cap situation as it stands the leafs have approximately nine million dollars in cap space for next season um and I, I look at the roster and you look at, you know, the the obvious, not necessarily dead weight in all cases, but the guys who you can move out and, and free up some space and, and probably replace them pretty easily. Uh, Kerfoot, Hall, Mrazek, that's $9.3 that you could free up right there. And then, you know, you can get into the, the discussion about what you want to do with Jake Muzzin. But if you have the nine million cap space, you move out those three guys without retaining anything or taking anything back. That gives you about $18 million to, to work with. Uh, and then you got to re-sign Campbell. Uh, as you mentioned, Sandine and Lilligren. Uh, Engvall needs a new contract. Mm. Kasha as well, if, if you're going to keep him around. And then you're probably going to need another, you know, left wing or two. And, and maybe some D help kind of depending on what you do with Muzzin and Hall, right? So uh, th- there is some well, space there. if you move there. out Mrazic, you need another goaltender as well. Well, I, I'm factoring in Schalgren as I think I already counted I in so, like yeah. 750 as, you know, if, if that's what you're doing, I assume you're going to go really cheap in that. But yeah. Um, but I, I guess I'm looking at like if you do move those guys out, eighteen ish million. Like that's not too bad to to sign Campbell, Sandine, Lilligren, Engvall. You got to think that you can get all those guys done for. Uh, I don't know. It's hard to ballpark, but like you know, you should still have a few million left to to work with once once they're done at least. Well, I think like if you can if you can swing it and it doesn't throw your entire cap picture out of whack to try and get guys like Sandine and Lilligren and even Engvall at this point locked in for a little bit longer than uh, perhaps a traditional bridge deal. That's, that's definitely the play, but it's all about making it work in your current salary structure and, and, you know, not limiting yourself in terms of making other additions for the roster for next season. So uh, if it comes down to a question of signing Timothy Lilligren for two years at 2 million or, six years at 4.5 i think that that it's a difficult you're not only taking a leap of faith on lilligren at that point you're definitely cutting down your your flexibility to make additional moves to the roster so it's that's a tough call Uh, it's you're taking a gamble it's something that can pay off over the long run or it's something that can hamstring you in the short run yeah but i think if you do bridge them you're kind of bridging them to the point that muzzin and and uh and even Brody would really be kind of winding down on their deals too. So it, their B cap space, it would free it up for when they, they do need their raise. And yeah, I'm of the mind of for the next two years, minimizing the, the cap pits for them, you know, going short term to allow for, for some more help, you know, elsewhere. But normally like, you know, in a vacuum, you know, I think I always love, you know, betting, betting on those RFAs that you, you know, you feel comfortable about and trying to get, you know, lo- them locked into a deal that in two years, you know, they're outperforming their, their, their value by a significant margin. But I think, yeah, I think the move right now is, is to kind of keep their, their AAVs as low as possible. Yeah. There's going to be some interesting moves to make, um, you know, where the contracts are concerned. There's a little more, a little more uh, breathing room. It feels like, um, and kind of a little more flexibility to do, kind of what you want to do, you know, whether if, if you want to chew up that cap space and give them long-term deals now, like that might not be bad use of the money, or, or maybe you want to make another couple of additions and then maybe it's a couple of bridge deals, but um, decisions for the off season, I suppose. While we're on this, we got another one here from Cole. Uh, I don't know what his contract will be or if he's even willing considering the past, but assuming he is, are you keeping Mikheyev? 
over, say, maybe a Kerfoot or another player. Um, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, when we're talking about reallocating some, some of these dollars, I don't know what Mikheyev's going to command. That's a hard one to try to try to figure out what the market He's will be. He's going to get paid. Someone's going to pay him. I, I would think so. Um, but what, like, is, is someone going to throw a six year 4.5 at him or something like that? Like, I, I, think, I don't know. I have no idea. I think that there'll definitely be offers like that out there for a guy like McKayev. There's going to be some teams that have not only the salary cap space, but the, the, the glaring holes in their top six to offer him. Right. And, and getting back to the, the past that was referred to in the question is, we all know that Ilya Mikheyev has requested a trade out of Toronto in the past because he wasn't thrilled about his deployment and where he was slotted on the roster. Um, maybe some of that has been kind of quelled with his, the way that he's been used as of late. But I think you're still looking at a guy who really believes in his own ability. And I think that there's going to be teams around the league that are willing to pay for that combination of speed and tenacity and defensive ability. And now we've seen him start to finish on some of these scoring chances and yeah and that's the kind of player that when free agency rolls around on it's not july 1st this year or whatever it is the team's going to be lined up to pay that guy yeah i mean i i would i would absolutely be look i would be fine moving kerfoot's money and just giving it to him at this point but anything beyond Um, that it becomes a, a tricky proposition for the leafs i think totally yeah i mean as of january i think the projections for him are like 3.3 million on evolving hockey but that was January. He's done a lot since January. Like I, I don't know if you're getting. I, I like you just said, Nick. Like I think open market. He he does get close to five million. Like I, it does feel it's starting to feel that way. It would just with I what don't he think can he do. gets any less than four for sure. Yeah, yeah. and keeping exactly. in mind this is all before a potential playoff run, which could drastically inflate any yeah, of yeah. these guys' prices. Right? If he yeah. if he gets two shorthanded goals in a playoff series or something like that, like that's like his prowess and penalty killing like that's getting that's going to get him paid too let alone like his even strength stuff too so like there's going to be a market for that guy and it sucks that there's already the kind of weirdness of him asking for a trade which i do think like hey you know you're now playing with john tavares and william nylander like is that are you going to get that in other spots you know if somebody's going to pay you that like i don't know if it matters to him the context of who he's playing with but that's a pretty goddamn good situation to be in right now. I just wonder if he's confident in in that being a long-term thing with the way that he has been used throughout his career in Toronto. But if he signs long-term and then immediately opening night next year, he's back with like Camp and Engvall or something, like he might not be then super Then you've got a disgruntled that. player making a lot of money, yeah. right? So yeah. I think it's a really tricky thing. Uh, again, it's something the Leafs definitely have to explore going into the offseason. I'm sure they've already got a pretty good idea of where Mikheyev's head is at in terms of his willingness to stay if they can make the money work. Uh, but yeah, if you can make the money work and he's willing to stay, he's definitely the, the kind of energy player that this team needs. I think we've seen just the, the kind of difference that he's made on that line with Tavares in recent weeks. And you you nailed it, Keith, his prowess on the penalty kill. Like the, the Leafs are literally outscoring the opposition 
while shorthanded with Mikheyev on the ice. It's ridiculous. It's yeah. it's insane. It's insane his impacts on, on the penalty kill. Like actually crazy. I need I need to see somebody do like a deep dive on that to put this into like historical context because it feels like we're not talking about that enough too. Yeah, it definitely. But it, I think it, it speaks to like the the entire system that the the penalty kill uses. Like the way that the forwards rotate high in the zone for the Leafs on the penalty kill. It's not exactly like you see a, a lot of other teams do. I think. They, they kind of they chase at the top of the zone a little more, but they they communicate really well on their switches. And it, it seems like any time that there's a bobbled puck or some kind of missed oh, pass, they're all, it, it, it. It, they're all over it and everyone's jumping and they're already at the top of the zone ready to go for an odd man rush. And yeah, they've just been deadly. Yeah, if Mikheyev does leave, he, that becomes your number one priority in terms of what you have to replace in the offseason, I think, assuming that you're pretty much, you know, bringing back the, the other guys you expect to bring back. Um, like, you need like a scheme fit for your yeah. penalty kill. Like, you <laughs> yeah. need a, like a That's fast. a huge hole. That's a yeah. huge hole if he goes. So, um, yeah, that that's going to be a really interesting one to watch. Um, lots of great questions. Thank you all for for sending them in. We'll, we'll do this again soon. It's been a little while since we've mailbagged it up. So, Leafs are on the road. Uh, got a back-to-back in Florida starting Monday night. Uh, the Lightning and then the Panthers. A couple of big games. Yeah, and then in Dallas yeah. on Thursday. Um, but, yeah, obviously the, the Florida games are are quite quite massive um facing the panthers again second time this season you get them again before the end of the the year after this one so um lots of impactful games here packed into the end of the the leaf schedule and hopefully they'll you know turn in a nice showing um just you know we've been talking about this but just keep her cranked up that, that's what i felt these last three or four games is is a leaf like they're ramping up right yeah totally. they, they're they're clicking right now and and just got to try to keep that going yeah especially keep it clicking in these next two games upcoming uh big implications especially in the tampa one i think the panthers might be a little bit too far out in front to kind of catch them for the division lead at this point um but we're right there tied with uh tampa in that second and third spot so it could come down to a matter of Monday night's game being the determining factor with which one of those teams gets home ice in the opening round, if that is indeed the matchup that uh, that we get. And it looks like it's tracking that way. So uh, very valuable points right now, um, especially if you're going to be taking on the back-to-back champs. I think you want to try and find every advantage you can get. And uh, yeah, starting with home ice would be a, a good way. It's just, it, just all the momentum they've generated in the last few games coming into this game, these two games. It, you know, if you if you take like three to four points or something like that, like you got to feel really good about this, about they have to feel really good about themselves. Yeah. You know, moving, moving into the rest of the season. Yeah. So some big games this week, um, we will be back at some point after those and we'll see who has been added to the scumbag list. (laughs) 